we're moving on in our series in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. We're going through this book expository. We're going through this book chapter, chapter, verse by verse. We've just finished the section in, in chapter uh, 12. And now we've moved into, sorry, this, this chapter 11. And now we've moved into this chapter uh, 12. Now chapter 12, 13, and 14 uh, a, a new section of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. We, we know that the, the letter has been broken up into little parts where Paul is addressing different situations and different questions that these Corinthians have had. Sorry, gentlemen, sound. There's that, that echo is just going to kill my ears or my concentration. So if we can deal with that, that would be excellent. So th- this is... this is a section that is much bigger than we normally take. Because normally in this book of Corinthians, the sections have been a few sort of verses, a paragraph. And so we need to go over these three chapters over the next few weeks. And with the Lord's help, we'll discover what the Lord was saying to the Corinthians then, and then what he's saying to us now. And, and so you've got to be patient. You've got to be patient with this. Because the title, Spiritual Gifts, gets us excited. It, get, it gets churches excited. It gets churches scared. It gets individuals worked up. It, it can be very exciting. It can be very emotive. It can, there's all sorts of things. And within this, there are tricky issues. And there are probably controversial issues. And I'm sure that there are questions that you will have and thoughts that you will have that will not be immediately answered. And that's not because we're not going to address them. It's just because Paul has got a structure that he's running through over these three chapters. And so I want you to be patient. If your particular question is not immediately answered, then it will be as we go through this chapter. If you think, what does that mean? And you're looking at the end of the chapter, and I'm preaching from the beginning of the chapter, you won't know what that means, because that's at the end of the chapter. It's the end of the letter, and we need to go through it as Paul builds the argument, as the Holy Spirit gave him these words to speak to the Corinthians. So God willing, as we go through these chapters, the Holy Spirit will give us clarity and will answer our questions and and will enable us to be the people that God has intended us to be. Now, now, Now some of this teaching and some of this application may well be very different in what you're used to and what what you've grown up with. It may be different to what you've been taught. It may be different to what you've been experienced. It may be different to what you actually believe right now. So I want to say to everybody here, everybody, as we come to this part of Corinthians, no matter your thoughts or beliefs with regard to spiritual gifts, we need to ask the Lord to give us a teachable spirit. These Corinthians needed a teachable spirit, as we'll see. And if they needed a teachable spirit, then we need a teachable spirit. We need a teachable spirit and a discerning mind 
to see not only what God was saying to the Corinthians then through the Apostle Paul, but what God is saying to us now through this, his word, the book of 1 Corinthians. And, and we have to remember this. This is God's word. This is God's word. God's word is alive and living and it has authority. And we don't get to say what God's word is. What we get to do is with the help of the Holy Spirit is explore and learn what God's word says to us. And so I'd encourage you to really be prayerful in your preparation. And I'm sure you are Sunday by Sunday, but please especially be as we go through this. Because as you'll see, the Corinthians had lots of misunderstandings. The Corinthians had lots of misgivings on this subject. And I think as we look out on the church, and even if we look into our own hearts, we too may have misgivings or misapplications or things that aren't quite right. And it's important that we go back to God's word and see what God has to say to us. Now, as as we go through this, there's there's a couple of things that would be worth having in our minds. Paul was writing to the Corinthians, the letter of Corinthians. It's become 1 Corinthians in our Bible, in the New Testament. When Paul was speaking to the Corinthians, they did not have the New Testament. That might not sound like rocket science. It may sound like I'm pointing out the obvious. But it's important for us to remember. They just had the Old Testament. They had that. They didn't have access to it. Everybody wouldn't have had access to it. There would have been big scrolls that had been kept in various places. You couldn't have a little pocket scroll with the whole of the Old Testament on. That just wasn't possible. They didn't have apps or phones or even Bibles like this. And so even though they had the Old Testament, a lot of what they knew and what they experienced is through what they were taught by people. What they were taught in the synagogue initially from the Old Testament. And then what they were taught Sunday by Sunday, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, as they gathered together. And, and so it's very difficult for us to imagine because we've got God's word. We've got the whole of God's word. We've got the New Testament. And after the service, when you go home, if you're not sure what the pastor said, and you, you, you go back into God's word and you can open it and you're not just relying on your memory. You're not just relying on what I say. Absolutely not. You're relying on God's word. But back then, they didn't have that privilege. They had something else. God was speaking through the apostles and the prophets of those days to directly communicate God's word to his people. And they needed that because they didn't have the New Testament. And the other thing we need to remember is Corinthians is one of the first three books that was written in the New Testament. Now you might say, but Matthew was written first. No, Matthew comes first in the order. And then it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we have Acts and Romans. Now that's just been put together in the order of the canon of the scriptures. It's not a chronological order. And and we know from the book and, and what it says that it was written around 53 to 54 AD. And it was one of the first of it was one of the first three, probably the third book that was the third letter that was written 
in the New Testament. So we could actually say this is one of the first parts of the New Testament, which is worth just having in our minds. It's for a, a very early church. It's for a church that's very much in its infancy. So the church is the early church, and in the early church, this Corinthians church is the infant of the infancy, if, if you like. It's the first of the first. It was the foundation, if you like, of where churches go on. And this teaching that Paul was bringing to this church at Corinth was really going against the culture of that church. The church had developed a culture and a style of worship that it had become infamous for in some ways, and we can see connotations of that as we've gone through and there's concerns that Paul has had about this church. And so Paul is teaching and preaching here and speaking to people because he has concerns for them. He has concern for this church. And we've seen that in the previous chapters. He was concerned about their unity. He was concerned about the way they were relating to one another. There's, there's all these different concerns. And, and again, there's concerns in here. Now, they had concerns. They had questions. Uh, and and we, we know that they had questions because of the way that the letter is written. We don't have the letter or the, the, the notations of what exactly their questions were. But Paul is using their questions and then he's turning it to be able to teach them and to point them and to guide them pastorally as a church. And so Paul starts by explaining that he's moving on to another issue. In verse 1, it goes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. And so he's warm. He always is warm with the Corinthians. He calls them brothers. He could call them brothers and sisters there. He could call them brethren. This is a church family. But when he mentions brothers, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. He's talking to people who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. He wasn't talking to the whole congregation. He was talking to those that were brought together as that local church in Corinth. And... He is, he's saying, look, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. If you look at the word there, spiritual gifts, in the original, and you see the word uh, varieties of gifts later on, there's, there's two uh, different words that, that are used there. And some people have got very, very excited by that, and, and they think the question that was asked was about spiritual things. But then as you look throughout the book and as you look throughout how this is read, I think it's very easy to say and very straightforward to say, no, it is concerning spiritual gifts. They had questions about spiritual gifts. They had questions about how they were worshipping and how they were coming together with regard to their spiritual gifts. We don't know exactly what the, the questions were. The mayor said, can we have a list of spiritual gifts? Because Paul gives a couple of lists of, about spiritual gifts. They may be saying, how do we know what spiritual gifts have we got? We, they may be, we don't know what exactly their questions were. We can get a feel or a sense, uh, and we can speculate what they were, but we don't know exactly what they were. And in many ways, it's not really important. What is important is what we have preserved for us here in God's word. Now, it's safe to say from this context 
and from the content of Paul's letter in these next three chapters, that there were some serious issues that he had in his mind with regard to spiritual gifts and, and serious issues with how the Corinthians currently were exercising their spiritual gifts and how that impacted on their spiritual life, their corporate life as a church, and their worship. And, and so this is what was going on. This is where Paul was. This is where he is. He's, he's concerned And he's concerned, and he says this. He says to his brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I do not want you to be uninformed. And and so the first heading that I want us to to, to think about here with this context is, is spiritual gifts matter in the life of the church. Or we could say spiritual gifts are important in the life of the church. And and, and just as Paul brings that in at the beginning of this section, we, we need to underline that for ourselves right now. It is important for us to note at this stage that spiritual gifts in the life of the church are Important. They are an essential part of the life of the church. And, and, and tragically, because of the controversies regarding the gifts of the Spirit, because of the differences of opinions and the different ways that these are, are seen and manifest and, and, and shown and, and all done like that, that, there are many churches that just try and keep these chapters closed. Well, they don't keep chapter 13 closed. Chapter 13 always comes out at marriages and weddings. And we like a good talk about love. But in reality, that chapter 13 is not a sandwich filling in the wrong place. It really is an important part of the teaching of the gifts of the Spirit, as Paul sets out here. And so there is this tragedy that because there's been people that have overemphasized things or underemphasized things, or there's been controversies of big name people arguing differences of opinions with regard to spiritual gifts, there is an element or a tradition within the church where they don't talk about spiritual gifts. They, 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 they may, if you like, they be afraid. Possibly that's the word, I don't know. And they don't start, touch the subject, and they don't emphasize the subject, and it's to the detriment of the church. It's to the detriment of the church. And, and, and on the flip side, there, there are others that get so excited and so obsessed by the subject, again it's to the detriment of the church, because they are so focused on the gifts of the Spirit that the gospel... And everyday Christianity is put aside, and it's to the detriment of the church. And Paul did not want the Corinthians to be uninformed. There's problems with the Holy Spirit, there's problems with the gifts of the Spirit when they go wrong, and there's problems of not having any of the gifts of spirits ever taught about. There's, there's two extremes, and both of them are serious, serious problems. And Paul did not want the Corinthians to be uninformed. He didn't just write the letter and say, put the spiritual gifts in a box, put them away. They're not to be talked about because it caused too many problems. That's not where he went. 
But similarly, as he saw the problems and the challenges that the gifts of the Spirit were bringing, he said, right, I don't want you to be uninformed. You need to know about this. The church needs the spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts matter in the life of the church. And friends, God doesn't want us, the LPC, to be uninformed. That's why we have the book of 1 Corinthians. That's why we're preaching through consecutively. Before time began, God knew about this series. And he knew that I would be coming to chapter 12 on the 10th of June. He knew it. I did try and push it back a bit further, but God knew that it was going to be today. He had a plan and a purpose. And it's because, friends, we need to know. We're not to be uninformed. And as we go through the next three chapters of this 1 Corinthians, looking at the subject of spiritual gifts, my prayer is it's going to be a huge blessing for us collectively as a church. Because that's what the spiritual gifts are about. It's to be a huge blessing collectively to the church of Christ. Now the church at Corinth was getting some things wrong. And it was to the detriment of the church. It was to the detriment of the gospel. And tragically today, around the world, and in Cyprus, what should be for the benefit of the church, and what should be for the benefit of the growth of the church, and what should be for the benefit of the extension of God's kingdom, has been hijacked. And the spiritual gifts which should be used for the benefit of the church and its unity, have been hijacked by the devil and they've been used to its detriment and disunity. And that's why we need to be informed. We're not to be uninformed. And we should be praying that the Lord teaches us that we should learn and learn well from it. But before Paul dives into the gifts of the Spirit. And they are here, and we will get to them, but we probably won't get to them this week. I thought we would. I thought we were going to do verses 1 to 11. We're just going to do verses 1 to 3, so don't worry. We will get there. But before he dives into the actual gifts of the Spirit, he wants to to point in part of where this problem is coming from. And part of this problem is due to the the background of these Corinthians. We see this in verse 2. Verse 2 says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So he's told them, talking about spiritual gifts. He said to them, Brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. This is important. And so we've had the heading, spiritual gifts matter to the life of the church. And now I want to move our thoughts on to what's been said here. And some alleged spiritual gifts can be faked. Verse 2. Some alleged spiritual gifts can be faked. Now these Corinthians, in the most part, came from a pagan, pagan background. And when they were in this pagan background, in this pagan city that just satisfied the lusts of the flesh, they were led astray. 
And it says that to them. He's saying to these people, this congregation, this church, as this letter's been read out, you know when you were pagans. They're not pagans anymore. They've been saved by grace. We'll see that more in a moment. They've been brought into God's family. But there was a time when they were pagans. There was a time when they did pagan stuff. It was a time when they hung out at those temples. Probably there was a time when some of them got involved in the rituals and the sacrifice and and the sex and the idolatry and, and all that went there. And they were led astray. Now the language here is interesting. We have to know what's going on. It says, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led And there's a passive tense here, which means that they were led astray by someone or something. And friends, a dumb idol isn't a someone. A dumb idol can't lead somebody astray. So so what is going on here? How are these people being led astray? Now, now, maybe some people were thinking, okay, they're being led astray because there's other people doing it and they're following other people's examples. No, there was something darker and there was something much more sinister going on here. And we need God's word to interpret God's word. And so I would like to take you on a cross-reference. If you can just flip back two pages or scroll back uh, a page or two on, on your device to chapter 10. And in chapter 10 and in verse 20, we hear the Apostle Paul writing this and saying this. He's talking to these people and he says, No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I don't want you to be participants with demons. This was warning against idolatry. And this is the idolatry that they came from. When you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. And what was behind these mute idols was demons and the devil and deep darkness and deep wickedness. There was great demonic worship in those pagan temples. And a pagan worship at that time concentrated on the experience. They sold an experience, if you like. Things needed to be seen. Things needed to be experienced. And so they would love the supernatural. They would love the paranormal. They would be excited by these kinds of things that would happen. And the way that they imbibed, the way that they had these things is through singing and chanting and dancing and drinking alcohol and sexual relations and big parties and feasting and a frenzy. And they'll whip themselves up into having a spiritual experience. And there was things happening there in those temples, not similar, dissimilar to the whirling dervishes that turn themselves around into a trance, or people that do yogic meditation to get themselves into a way. They would be singing, 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 and chanting, chanting the same things, and bring themselves into a frenzy and start laughing and giggling. And there was a sense of the supernatural. And some of their so-called priests and prophets would do things that seemed supernatural. And they were supernatural, but they weren't through the God Almighty. They were through the power of demons. 
And some of this was called enthusiasms, and some of this was called ecstasies. And they were going after this. And so there's a big consequence of this past. These ex-pagans are carrying baggage. Their whole spiritual experience before has been wrapped up in this. It's a Christless, graceless worldview. And it's their only real reference point for, for worship was pagan worship. And then this was impacting on the spiritual matters of the church because apparently some of these things that were done in the temple were being mimicked in the worship of the church. These people were wanting an experience and they were getting themselves whipped up into, into different orders and different thoughts. And if you think that what I'm saying is, is, is stretching it, if we flip forward to 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 23, and it's a snapshot, and it's, it's, it, this is a whole other issue which we're going to come on to, and it will bring questions, but we will come on to it later. It says, if therefore the whole church comes together and they all speak in tongues, the outsider or the unbeliever enters, will they not say that you're out of your minds? And what was happening within the church of Corinth, they were doing things and things were going wrong in this sense that outsiders would come in and they would say, this is not a place of God. This is a madhouse. These people are insane. And God's name was not being honored and not being glorified through these gifts or so-called gifts. And, And what we have to be aware is that in the temples, in the pagan temples, spiritual gifts were being faked. And tragically, that sometimes can happen within the church. And it's something that is happening now in churches around the world. And people are caught up in so-called spiritual gifts and so-called spiritual experiences that the gospel has suffered. And the church, in reality, has suffered. But we have to be careful of this. And we have to be really careful of this. Because there's two things that can happen here. And and something that's happened in a lot of conservative-minded churches is because... Some presumed spiritual gifts can be fake. They hide away from all spiritual gifts. And they hide away from teaching about spiritual gifts. And that's wrong. Because spiritual gifts need to be applied within the church because they are a blessing to the church and an advantage to the gospel. And so we need to be aware, friends, that some spiritual gifts, some presumed spiritual gifts, can be faked. They were in the days of Corinth, and they are in our days now, and we just need to be aware of that. But that shouldn't stop us as a church, as individuals wanting to seek true spiritual gifts in a biblically applied way for the glory of God and to the blessing of the church.
And so it's no surprise that Paul continues in the way that he's doing. He's issued this, this warning in a way. And, and then he says, verse 3. And, and verse 3, I've just got this heading here that will help us. Spiritual gifts will declare Christ as Lord. Now, I could put in front of that true spiritual gifts, but I think from this point forward, whenever we talk about spiritual gifts, we'll be referring to God's spiritual gifts that he gives us uh, through the Holy Spirit and what is applied from his word. And so spiritual gifts will declare Christ as Lord. Verse 3, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God can ever say, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So we need to unpack this. We need to think through this. And then the first thing that we need to know is when he's saying there, it says that Jesus is Lord. This is to trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's not as the devils. The devils believe that Jesus is Lord, but they don't know him as Lord. So you can only know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life through the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. And if someone is truly in the Holy Spirit, they cannot say, they will not say, Jesus is accursed. And so the, 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 the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is all about exalting Christ. I think sometimes we think that the Holy Spirit's job is just about helping us. No, the Holy Spirit's job is exalting Christ. And he does that by helping us. We, we, we're sort of a, a side issue, if you like, in some ways. His role is to exalt and glorify Christ. And we can see that in its essence here, that he is enabling us to say Jesus is Lord. We can only do that through the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. But also, if you go to the Gospel of John, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples in John 15, in, in the upper room there, and he's opening up to him, and in verse 26 he says, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father, so the Father gives the Holy Spirit to us, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit's job is to bear witness to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will proclaim Christ and exalt Christ. And again, a little further on in the next chapter, chapter 16 of the same Gospel of John, and verse 14, talking of the Holy Spirit, he says, He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. And he will take what is mine and declare it to you. How does the Holy Spirit glorify Jesus? He takes what is Jesus and declares it to us, his disciples, so that we can say, Jesus is Lord. And we can only do that if we are in the Holy Spirit. And so we see here that just as someone who is in the Holy Spirit will say Jesus is Lord, an individual spiritual gifts will point and speak of Jesus as their Lord. And this is so, so important because this is the way to test to see if spiritual gifts are genuine. 
If spiritual gifts are pointing to Jesus Christ as Lord, then we can be saying, this, yeah, we've got a lot more to hold on to here. This is what the spiritual gifts are about, is pointing to Christ and Christ crucified, pointing to Jesus Christ the Lord, because the Holy Spirit points and exalts Christ, and his gifts, the Holy Spirit's gifts to us, will speak of Jesus as Lord. And so that's a way to test Spiritual gifts to see if they're genuine. Are they pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are they filling someone's wallet with money? Are they pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are they just giving us a great experience on a set day? But I want to take the example further. If, if someone says that they have the gifts of the utterance of wisdom... We're going to come on to that. And we'll go into it more detail. But if someone says that's what they've got, yes, that's their, that's their gift in the, of the Spirit. And then they tell someone that God's plan for them is clearly against the Word of God, His revealed Word. Then there's a big problem there. So let me unpack it a bit further. There's a young lady. And, and she's head over heels with the attentions of a young man. And, and she goes to someone for, for counsel, for help. And this person is someone who feels they have the gift of wisdom. And, and she's sharing with this person, with the gift of wisdom, her concerns and, and her desires. And he is so handsome, and he is so wonderful, and he is so caring, and, and he's just such a good lad. And he's got his own house, and he's got his own business, and everything, all the stars are lining up. And then she says... But he's not a Christian. And, and the word of wisdom is, oh, praise God, all these things are so good. Get on and get married. That's not a word of wisdom from God. That cannot be a word of wisdom from God. That's not exalting Christ. That's telling lies. And this is how we need to assess the spiritual gifts to see if they're genuine. Because if they're genuine, they won't go against God's word. If they're genuine, they will speak of Jesus as Lord. Well, bringing it closer to home to Cyprus. The alleged man of God is praying in faith for a miracle, a breakthrough over a so-called businessman who is dealing in Yahoo. Scamming, for those that don't know. And this happens. This happens on the island. Alleged people who proclaim to be God's men praying in faith for a miracle over an iniquitous, sinful, godless lifestyle. Is that a gift of the Spirit? Is that Jesus Christ manifest? Through the Holy Spirit in that person's life? No, it is not. And friends, we have to see it as God's word says it is. We can't mess around with these things. And we have to take it back to this. And we have to examine our own hearts and our own lives. And friends, if you are the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to come into this in much more detail later, you will have gifts of the Spirit. And you need to analyze your own ones. And you need to say to yourself, am I using this for God's glory? 
Is this gift pointing to Christ? Is this gift saying Jesus is Lord? Or is it feeding my ego or my pride? Is it making me feel better about myself? Because that's not what the gifts of the Spirit are for. And so, friends, we see here in this very beginning of this letter, spiritual gifts will declare Christ as Lord. But these, this verse 3 has is, is got a sort of double whammy to it, if you like. Because as the problem is being pointed out, there's also the fact that Paul is reminding these Corinthians of a great change that's happened in their lives. Something incredible has happened in their lives. You see, these people, these Corinthians, used to live a pagan lifestyle. And a pagan lifestyle which would have said, Jesus is a caste. Their lifestyle and the way that they lived was pagan. And as we saw in verse 2, we, we, we read there very, very clearly that they were led astray to mute idols. They were pagans. And so this is the Corinthians that he's speaking to them. And he said, this is where you are. You had no regard for Jesus. You live for yourselves. You live for your own motives. The lusts of your heart guided you. You did what you liked. You were immersed in a pagan way of life. You were being led astray, as it were, by the demons themselves. And then there's a radical change. Because there came a point. There came a point in their lives where things changed from them living like that and being able to say, Jesus is Lord. To use the language of the Gospel of John, they were born again. There's one young man in a a youth group who were involved in way, way back. And he was trying to to explain salvation. He's trying to explain that change. And and he 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 was just a very, very straightforward young man. And he just put it like this. He said, it's like going to bed at night as a man and waking up as a woman. That was the most radical change he could think of in his own experience. Well, he hadn't experienced it, but his own mind, yeah? It's this total and utter turnaround. And this is what's happened to these Corinthians. They were heathen, godless people who were happy to accurse Christ and, and, and push him away. And now they're saying, Jesus is Lord. They've been blindly following mute idols. And now they've received the gift of grace in salvation. And how did this happen? It can only happen if the Holy Spirit works in someone's life. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Their lives were changed. And the Holy Spirit had come into their lives and changed them. And and before Paul can address the complex controversies of the subject of the gifts of the Spirit in which they were going badly wrong, they had to come back to basics. That's to be reminded that you were pagans. 
And the first lesson about spiritual gifts is not the gifts themselves. The first big lesson is the foundation that spiritual gifts are built upon. And that's salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a gift. Salvation is a gift. And I want to use God's word to underline this point. And you'll forgive me for using the verse that we had with the children in the children's talk. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And it is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul wanted the Corinthians to be reminded that despite the fact that they've been led astray by mute idols, they've been saved. They've been saved by grace and their salvation was a gift from God. And as the children's talk, I hope, reminded us, a gift is not deserved. It it wasn't as though God said to the Corinthians, look, if you make yourselves a little bit better... If you stop going to those idol temples, if you start hanging out at the church now, if you read your Bible every day, if you say this prayer, then, then I will reward you with conversion. No. It's not a gift. You can't do anything to deserve a gift. A gift is free. It's not earned. The Corinthians couldn't work out their, their own salvation by doing stuff. And it can't be purchased. And in the reality, the gift of salvation it would be impossible for us to purchase. Because we need to be perfect. And we can't be perfect. And only Christ is perfect. And Christ came to this world to pay the price of the sins of his people. And the only way that these Corinthians came to know that this gift was for them, was because the Holy Spirit was in them and worked through them. And Paul, before he delves into this, was reminding the Corinthians, that's what you were, and this is what you are, and it's all of grace, and it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And this work of the Holy Spirit then goes on in the gifts of the Spirit and we're going to get there. But we ourselves need, as we go forward in this, as we become informed of the gifts of the Spirit, we need to see, is this the foundation that we are on? See, the only way these Corinthians would come to this place is if the Holy Spirit was with them. And then there's two other foundation points along salvation that I want to bring. And the the second one, B, I think I put it up as, is salvation is coming to know Jesus as Lord. Salvation is not trying to earn a gift. Salvation is not faking it till you make it. Salvation is seeing your sin and the mess that you've made of your life and realizing that that sin and that mess is yours and yours alone. And realizing that that sin that is a mess is a sin against the God Almighty who made heavens and earth and who is totally perfect. And in his total perfection has divine and perfect wrath. 
And your sins deserve his perfect wrath. His perfect judgment. His perfect justice. We need to see that our relationship with God is broken. And there is nothing, nothing that we personally do, can do to make it right. And the, the technical term for that is conviction of sin. And it happens. That's part of salvation, to be convicted of sin, to be convicted of your need. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit in a life. Jesus in the Gospel of John, again in this chapter 16, again talking about the Holy Spirit, says this in verse 8. And when he comes, this is the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit works. Salvation is to know Jesus as Lord. And these Corinthians didn't know Jesus as Lord. And something happens in their lives to to show them their need is Jesus as Lord. And that something is the Holy Spirit comes in and convicts them of sin. And convicts them of God's righteousness. And convicts them of judgment. And they realize that their biggest, biggest sin is not the fact they've been sleeping around in the temple. It's not the fact they've been doing live slaughtering of, of, of innocence because they wanted to get more power. It's not because they've murdered. It's not because they've committed adultery. It's not any of those sins that the world puts out as sins. Their biggest problem is they do not believe in Jesus. When the Holy Spirit works, they come to a place where they believe that the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross took their sins. They believe that and it comes into their hearts and it comes into their lives and then salvation happens when we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus to take our judgment and Jesus took the full wrath of God on himself at Calvary. And salvation is when we surrender the lordship of our lives and Jesus becomes our Lord. We're no longer boss. We're no longer fighting. We are His. And He is our Lord. And, and, and so this is what goes on. And this is what salvation is. Salvation is coming to know Jesus as Lord. And before you can think about enjoying and using the gifts of the Spirit to God's glory and for the benefit of the church, you have to ask yourself the question, are you the church? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Is what I've just explained, salvation coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, your truth? Is this what you know? Is this the truth that Christ has brought into your life through the Holy Spirit? Because if you don't know that, then the whole next three chapters has got no relevance to you at all. Because the gifts of the Spirit are for 
the children of God and the children of God alone. And they come, the children of God, through salvation. And salvation is coming to know Jesus as Lord. And that is worked out in our lives by the Holy Spirit. We also see foundationally here is salvation. Salvation is when we receive the Holy Spirit. And this is really, really important when we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And we'll we'll understand more later, but we need this foundation here. We need to see it from God's Word. And what is is going on here is like this. Let's follow the, the logic of Paul's teaching here. Salvation is evidenced when someone truly says and truly knows that Jesus is Lord. And the passage tells us there that only someone who can truly say Jesus is Lord is in the Spirit. In the Spirit. And so the moment of your salvation, Christian friend, is the moment that you received the Holy Spirit. And and this is a a truth that we need to to hold on to. And and your salvation and being in the Holy Spirit is inextricably linked. They are together. And and this will save us so much heartache and so much problems in in our lives and our Christian walk and from false strange teachings if we really grasp the wonder of this. When God works in our life through the Holy Spirit and we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior through the work of the Holy Spirit, that is when the Holy Spirit is in us and we are in the Holy Spirit. Now you might say, I didn't feel it. Well, who says anything about feeling things here? This is what happens. And some of you may have felt it because we're all different and the experience and the workings of the Holy Spirit is different. There's no set way of saying, that is what it has to be like. So so don't worry about what other people's experiences are at the moment. Let's just hold on to this fact and let's see it from God's word. That's Paul's logic. And again in Ephesians, in chapter 1, in verse 13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. They heard the truth. They heard the gospel of salvation. They heard that the Lord Jesus Christ had died on the cross for the sins of his people. And they believed in him. And they repented of their sins. And the moment, the moment that happened, they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And he is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Why is this important? Because there are days that you will not feel like a Christian. And there's days where you will feel miserable. And there'll be days when you sin. And there'll be days when you fail. And you go back to the truth of this. I have been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. I've been saved by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot lose my salvation because it's in him and it's of him. And yes, you may tragically backslide, but you will be restored. Because once you are Christ, you are his, because the seal of the Holy Spirit is upon you and he is yours. And you are his, more importantly. 
And there will be times when you feel his presence greater. And there will be times when you grieve him. And there will be times when he feels far from you. But he is your seal. And that happens from the moment you are born again. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 28, Peter is preaching. He's preached a powerful, powerful sermon in the Holy Spirit. And then there's about to be 3,000 odd converted. And he cries out, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When does the gift of the Holy Spirit come? On repentance, in the name of Jesus Christ, and in the forgiveness of sins. And following in the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ in the sense that we die with him and we are raised up and we're no longer the old but we've become the new. And we can say at the moment of salvation a believer receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so friends, every one of you here who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. All of us who are believers, we are united in this same thing. And that is, we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is different to spiritual gifts or the gifts of the Spirit. But we have all received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's why this chapters are so important. And that's why Christian unity is so important. And that's why I think it's no surprise it's come after the chapters here that talk about unity and point out to the Corinthians where they were getting it wrong in their Lord's Supper and where they were getting it wrong in their different ideas on head coverings and where they were getting it wrong in, in this. And, and, and this here is saying we are to be united. We are united in Christ and we are of one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And then there's no surprise that verse 4 goes on and says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And friends, you're going to have to wait till next week to get the next part. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us right now May your Holy Spirit help us to process what we've been hearing from your word. Oh Lord God, forgive us for anything that's getting in the way. And may you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, as we've already prayed, meet each one of us at our point of need and speak to us and show us what's what. Almighty God, for those who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, to those who are lost, to those who are like the Corinthians, maybe not in action, but certainly in spirit, that they do not know you as their Lord and Savior, may you work in their hearts and their lives with the power of the Holy Spirit, convicting of them of sin, convicting them of righteousness, convicting them of the judgment, and may they come to know you as their Lord and Savior today. Will you work in their hearts right now, Almighty God? Would you bring the lost sinners into your family. And those of us that know you, may our love for you grow deeper. 
May our desire to have these gifts in the right way be more evident in our lives. May we delight in our salvation and wonder in the cost and the the magnitude of what's been done for us. And as we are such a diverse bunch of different people here, may we look round and acknowledge each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and all as temples of the Holy Spirit. And may you unite us in that one spirit. And may that be to your glory. And may it speak out to this dark world we live in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.